0: Thanks for watching today at WildwoodChurch.com. Now, here's today's message. All right. Well, that was awesome. I'm very proud of the youth of this church. And, uh, and I know you parents are proud too. And uh, I'm so thankful for such an amazing array of godly parents in this church. Uh, I've always said it, and I'll say it again, you are the primary disciple-makers, and I'm just glad to, to ha- play a small part in the development of your children, but you guys are killing it, and I'm grateful to be here at this church and to be able to invest in your children with the gospel. It is a privilege. And in case you don't know who I am, I'm Joshua Pugsley. I am the youth director here at Wildwood Church. And uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Today, I, uh, we get to take a little bit of time to honor our high school graduates and uh, I already got, told you guys this earlier, but I'm going to have you come forward again towards the end of the sermon. Don't worry, I'm going to let you know when I want you to come up, but I want to pray for you guys and pray for your future. Um, but it's also my privilege today uh, to be able to worship the Lord with you as we open the word. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 6, we're gonna be going through verses 15 through 19 today. So if you'd open your word to that portion of scripture, please. You have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you now. We ask that you would be with us. We know that you are. We know that your spirit indwells us. We know that you teach and guide us by your truth, and we just ask that you would humble our hearts, and you would guide my lips today, and that you would be glorified in this soul, and that ultimately we would walk out of this building more prepared to love you, more, more prepared to go out and love the world around us, Lord. Greatest things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, you all know much about tigers. Probably not. Yeah, me neither. And then you're not really going to learn that much today, but... Uh, I'm going to tell you a few little uh, facts about them. So in the wild, tigers generally have a territory that spans about 40 square miles. And they uh, roam this land, they hunt, they live the good life of a tiger. And uh, it's a pretty, pretty large area. Uh, considering, actually, if you didn't know this other fact, that there are more tigers in captivity, in small confinements, than there are that live in the wild. There's actually about uh, 5,000 tigers that live in the United States uh, versus about 4,800 who live in the wild. Uh, So tigers, the ones that are in captivity, instead of having the freedom to roam around, they're confined to this small area and they're not allowed to live as God intended. And some of these captive tigers are actually a lot worse off than others, especially those in the circus. So tigers in the circuses, Uh, I've been known to sometimes be placed in a cage that's like five foot by eight feet and live there for the most of their life. Uh, And this type of living has profound psychological effects on the tigers, causing them to have uh, abnormal behavior. And I remember hearing the story about a particular tiger who had lived in a small cage like this, and he would pace around the cage in its little eight or five foot by eight foot rectangle, just pacing around all day long. He would do that. And uh, eventually, he was able to be set free from uh, that cage. And uh, they took him out to the jungle to set him free. They took the the cage away, the confines of his prison. And uh, what did the tiger do? Well, it just continued to pace. It didn't actually run away and frolic away into the jungle. Um, It couldn't fathom anything else because from a young age, it was in that cage. It was trapped in its own belief, not realizing that there was so much more waiting for it, just 20 feet away, right in the jungle. Now that's the home it was made for. It was made to be free. Instead, it was stuck living no life at all. The tiger was free, but it didn't embrace its freedom. Now, it's not 4th of July yet, guys. But hey, it's June 4th. It's close enough, right? Start talking about some freedom. Plus, in America, I mean, any day is a good day to talk about freedom, right? Land of the free. I mean, that's what we're taught in history class, right? We are a nation founded upon freedom. You know, but people, I think, use this word freedom a lot. But I do not think it means what they think it means, you know? So uh, the Oxford definition for freedom says this. Freedom is the power... Listen to this. Freedom is the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. Wow. Well, thanks, Oxford, for absolutely not clearing anything up for us about freedom and just making it more muddy because if that's the definition for freedom, based on that, no one is actually free. None of us has the right or even the power to act without hindrance or or restraint. We are all restrained in a thousand different ways by the laws of the land, by our own weaknesses and inabilities and a myriad of other things. And you know what? Thank God for law and order, right? I mean, if people had the right to do whatever they wanted, can you just imagine the, the chaos that we would live in, how terrible that would be? And even if the government isn't you know, restraining what we can do. I mean, we still can't do exactly what we want to do. I mean, I would really love to go on the top of the tallest building in the world and just jump off, flap my wings, and fly away. I would love that. That'd be amazing. But I can't do that because I'm not an eagle, guys, okay? I don't have the freedom to do anything I want. I don't have the power. And the bottom line is that people don't get to do whatever they want. And based on Oxford's definition of freedom, no one is actually free. In fact, the only one who gets to claim freedom based on that definition is actually God. God gets to decide everything, and there's absolutely nothing that can stop him, absolutely nothing that can slow him down, nothing that can mess up his plans. So really, actually, Oxford, I'm sorry for being so rude to you earlier. Uh, Based on your definition, you've actually just described and revealed God's freedom to do whatever he wants. So, if freedom isn't the ability to do whatever we want, what is it? What is this freedom we talk about in America? I want to know. Is it simply living in a place of relative peace, prosperity, where you get three square meals a day and decent health care? Well, I don't really think that's the answer because we've got prisoners who get that. And uh, some of our prisoners are actually better off than folks who are living in third-world countries who aren't in prison. So maybe freedom is having the ability to pursue happiness in the American dream. But what happens when your house burns down or your bank account runs dry or your health declines? Does that mean you're no longer free? I mean, people are looking for answers. People want to find freedom, and it seems like all the world's definitions are just falling short over and over again. Now, I do want to make it clear here, guys. I'm very thankful to God that I live in America and uh, that I live in a place with a constitution that protects the rights. Of its citizens. And you know, my prayer is that America would grow and prosper for the glory of the Lord and would be a nation filled with God honoring believers. But my the the point I'm trying to make is that no matter what country we live in, and no matter how free that country may be in human terms, freedom still isn't what we have been taught, what we think it is at times. If freedom could be offered by a nation, it would be America. But why are so many people enslaved to, name the list, money, drugs, alcohol, right? All the things we can list off. Why, Why are so many people enslaved to depression, full of anxiety, feeling trapped? Are the American people really free? Or are they enslaved to a million different masters they aren't even aware of? I think we're all tired of substitute freedoms that just don't do the trick. And you know what? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that today, in our passage, we get to find out what true freedom is. And many of us already know, but it's a good reminder, we need to be reminded of what true freedom is constantly. And I'm going to start off with a seemingly oxymoron statement, but in order to understand true biblical freedom, we first need to understand slavery. Now, slavery is a dirty word in our culture, and for good reason. America, the land of the free, has a dark past of slavery. Even with this past, uh, even with this dark past, we still have to talk about slavery today because uh, our passage actually mentions it six times. And in fact, at the beginning of this letter, if you go back to Romans 1.1, if you turn there briefly, you'll see that Paul starts off this letter by saying, Paul a slave of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. But you say, wait, Josh, it says in my version, servant. Paul, a servant of Christ. He doesn't call himself a slave, but if uh, you have an ESV translation, there should be a little footnote down there that you can take a look at that says doulos. What's that mean? Well... It's the original Greek word, and it means slave. And guess what? It always means slave. It never means anything other than slave. It doesn't mean worker. doesn't mean helper. doesn't mean servant. doesn't mean hired hand. It always means slave. It refers to someone who is owned by a master. So then why didn't they translate it slave? Why did they translate it servant? Well, the stigma, right? The stigma surrounding the term slave. It's very abrasive in our culture. When we see the wicked effects of slavery all around us that still exists in a myriad of ways today and, of course, in our past, and we we recognize the great abuses that have taken place, the violence and destruction, it's no wonder why people want to avoid that term. And I do want to, again, make myself very clear here. Slavery, as it pertains to one human being taking control of another in order to dominate, in order to abuse for their own benefits, is a vile, evil thing. No person has the right to treat another person as lesser. We are all created in the image of God, and we should all be treated with love and respect. But we still have to wrestle with the fact that Paul considers himself a slave of God. He began not just this letter, but many of his letters saying the same thing. He is a slave of God. And not just him, it was James, Peter, Jude, and John all considered themselves as slaves of God and introduced their writings saying, you know, Paul, slave of God. Peter, slave of God. And in our passage today, we as Christians are called to be slaves of righteousness. So should we soften the language of the Bible, to make it less abrasive? Oh, yeah, it's a great... It's, no, we shouldn't. We should probably sit under the reality of the word and let it sink in. And, you know, my personal belief is that the translators actually did a disservice to us by translating this Greek word uh, for slave to servant. And... Uh, you know, the, the word servant doesn't really allow the full weight of our reality before God to set in properly. Now, bear with me. I'm going to explain why all this is a good thing. Because at first, this can seem, once again, this can seem kind of like, wow, I've never heard this before. Uh, bear with me. It's a good thing to be a slave of God. just do whatever I want? Why not just live however I want? Why not just sin as much as I want? Because it's all covered anyway. And of course, you know, Paul has his usual response, which is by no means, by no means. As Christians, we cannot go on sinning as before because we are no longer enslaved to sin. Our new master is God, and we are enslaved to his righteousness. For a person who claims to follow Jesus then to go on sinning as they did once before is only evidence that they are still enslaved to sin rather than to God. And by no means can a Christian continue in sin as they once did. We have been set free to obey God, not sin. More than that, we are actually now enslaved to God. We cannot help but pursue righteousness. Now, this doesn't mean that we still won't uh, sin. It means that we don't have to sin, and that over time, because God is our new master, we're going to sin a lot less than we used to. So there are two masters presented in this passage. One is sin, one is righteousness, or God. Because to be a slave of righteousness also means to be a slave of God. They go hand in hand. In fact, later on in Romans 6.22, you'll read uh, that it says, we are slaves of God. So two masters presented here, one sin, one God. And an important question that I want us all to consider today is, whose slave are you? You don't get an option to opt out. There's no neutral ground. You are either a slave of sin or you are a slave of God. That's it. Those are your options. And outside of the saving work of Jesus, everyone is a slave of sin. All are under the tyranny and weight of it. Jesus said in John 8:34 when he's talking to the Pharisees and the crowd, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The people of this world would love to think they are free. But God's word says otherwise. Otherwise. Everyone on planet Earth has rebelled against a perfect and holy God. We just sing the songs about our perfect and holy God, and everyone has rebelled against him, and they have chosen sin over him. And one might say, you know what? I'm not really enslaved to sin, though. You're taking this a little bit too far. How could you say that? Well, why do the numbers in your bank account make all the decisions for you then? Sounds like money has dominion over you. It's called greed, and it's a sin. No, no, man, I don't really have anything that has control over me. Then why do you always go back to the addiction over and over again to try and find some semblance of peace? Now, you don't know me. I have no master. I'm my own master. If you're your own master, then why can't you control your temper or your tongue? Why do you say the things you will regret and act in the way that you wish you did not? Because you lack self-control and yet you think you're in control? I am free. I can do what I want. Then why are you trapped in a cycle of sin? You say you can walk away, but you never do. You may stop one sin, but you quickly pick up another to fill its place. You can't escape sin. It follows you everywhere. It rules over you with tyranny. You walk a path of destruction. Relationships crumble around you. Your very life is being sucked dry by the chains of your sin. And I know Brian shared this quote in the past. That's a good quote to share again. Sin will take you further, and I don't know whose quote it is, to be honest, but so... (laughs) Sin will take you farther than you ever intended to go. It will cost you more than you ever expected to pay, and it will keep you longer than you ever have ever intended to stay. Sin is a harsh and wicked master that will drive you to your grave figuratively and literally. Obey sin, reap death. And the great news once again is that no one in this room, no one listening to this sermon, has to be a slave to to sin any longer. No one has to be a slave to sin any longer. There is another master you can belong to. This master is loving. He is kind. He's merciful, forgiving. He provides life, righteousness, promises peace and security for all eternity. He is God. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Even if we suffer in this life for his namesake, we are filled with joy and hope knowing that we are even worthy to suffer for him and also knowing that in the end, he's going to put away suffering. God is a good master. He purchased his people by the precious blood of his son, Jesus. Jesus. They are now his and they are no longer controlled by sin, they are controlled by him. 2 Corinthians 5:14 through 15 says this, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, and those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. By no means, brother and sister, can we go on sinning the way we used to. The love of Christ controls us now. Christ died so that we wouldn't live for ourselves anymore or for sin, but we would live for our new master. But still, maybe even at this point, the idea of being God's slave doesn't sit well with you. I get it. And Paul understood that too, which is why in verse 19 he says this. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. That's Romans 6.19, the first part of it. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. When we think of slavery, we still think of the whip on the back. We think of the shackles on the feet. We imagine the ball and chain. We think of beatings, mistreatments, and other horrible things. Slavery in the mind of the world is never a good thing because they have no concept of a good master. Because men were not made to be masters. And guess what? To God, we are not just slaves. We are slaves. But we are not just slaves. We are his children. We are his priests. We are his ambassadors. We are his ministers. We are his saints. We are his chosen people. We are his, the apple of his eye. We are precious in his sight. We are beloved. We are cared for. Does he still own us, though? You better believe it. That precious blood of his son was the purchase He purchased us from one master, sin and death, and we've been transferred over to our new master. God owns a whole universe. He made everything that exists. God owns your next heartbeat. He owns the oxygen in your blood. He owns the atoms that you're made of. Who knit you together in your mother's womb? Who thought of you back in eternity? Before time existed, God knew you. Can you imagine? I can't. (laughs) The almighty, all-powerful God who is worthy of all praise, he is the one who has done all these things, who owns all things. And God is not a wicked and abusive God. He is not a tyrant, and his supreme kingship is is only marked by a love so deep that he would sacrifice his only son to set people free who never deserved it. He's not the wicked, brutal master. Sin is. To become a slave of God is to become truly free. And how is this possible? Because freedom isn't being able to do anything you want. Freedom isn't found in a nation. It isn't found in a full bank account. It isn't found in a great career or good education or even a happy family. All these things can be great blessings and we should be thankful for them, but they do not make a person free. You can have everything this world has to offer you and you will still find yourself apart from Christ, a slave to sin. Freedom is being under God's loving and kind rule and being able to say yes to God and no to sin. True freedom is being able to fulfill your ultimate destiny, which is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. That is why you were created. You were created by God, for God, to glorify God by enjoying him forever. When you get back to that, you will be truly free. And anything else you worship other than God will just lead you to death. If you come here today in the bondage to sin and slavery, you've come to the right place. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, decided that he's willing to die on behalf of messed up people like you and me. In fact, Jesus is our great example of what it means to submit to God. Because you know what? Jesus actually humbled himself and became like a slave. Philippians 2, 7-8 says this, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Original Greek word, doulos. By taking on the form of a slave. Being born of the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was all about being obedient to his heavenly father. He said himself in John 6 that he came not to do his own will, but the will of the one who sent him. And in the garden of Gethsemane, writes, Multiple times he says, let this cup pass from me, but not my will be done, but your will be done. Incredible obedience led Jesus Christ straight to his horrific death where he would suffer the just and full wrath of God. And then he would rise again three days later and now he holds the keys to death and hell. He's got the keys and he's ready to take off the chains. And the only thing you need to do is confess Jesus as Lord and believe in his work on the cross. If you're a slave to sin and you come here and you recognize that, the keys, Jesus has got them. He paid the price. He's ready to free you. Romans 10, 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that Greek word for Lord here is Kyrios I don't know if I pronounce that right. I'm not a Greek scholar, but it means Lord or master. Are you ready to confess Jesus as your master and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? If you are, you will be saved you will be set free from sin. You will find yourself under a new master who will give you everlasting life full of joy and peace. John 8, 36 says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Freedom is in Christ and Christ alone. My brothers and my sisters, in Christ we have been set free set free from sin. We can say no. We don't have to sin. It doesn't have power over us anymore. We have a new master, and he is going to teach us what it means to submit to him. He's going to be gracious to us. He's going to be patient and long-suffering. He's going to take us by the hand and lead us along, and even when we stumble, he's going to pick us back up. He's going to teach us what it means to be obedient children. He's a good father. Our call is to present ourselves to God with each new day as a living sacrifice. And to say, God, you're in control. Romans 6, 19, the latter part. Says, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. We used to present ourselves to lawlessness and impurity, which just led to deeper levels of lawlessness and brokenness in our lives. But now, because we are free from sin and slaves to God, we can present ourselves to righteousness, which will lead us to becoming more pure more holy and more like our master. Remember the tiger. He got released. He didn't know what to do with his newfound freedom. He was stuck in his old life and he couldn't enjoy his new life. That five by, foot, by, that five by eight foot box was all he could imagine, is all he knew, And there's so much more waiting for him. If he only realized he was no longer in that cage, sin is a cage. You don't ever have to go back to it, you don't need to go back to it. Don't present your members, don't present your life, your body, don't present anything anymore to that old master keep presenting your members as slaves to God, and you'll see that cage disappear in the background. Practically, I want to encourage you all to daily surrender your life to God. I think that's a biblical thing, too. I think Jesus talked about that, right? Daily surrender your life to God. What does that look like? Well, I'm going to give you some ideas, but it may look different for you than it does for me. But I think it starts with when you wake up in the morning, you say, God, this is your day. This is not my day. God, this is your day. You open the word, you go to it as your food. You say, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. And how do I know your will? Well, I gotta know your word. So let me open your words and know your will so I can follow you and be obedient to you. You say, Lord, guide me, be my father, be my master. And when tempted to sin, you say, to sin, I don't have to follow you anymore. You're not in control. God's in control, and I live to obey him. And if you feel weak and frail and like your love for God is dwindling, run to the Lord of all creation and say to the Lord, your child is weak and poor and tempted. Tempted to go back to the pit tempted to go back to the cage. My strength is small. I feel like I can't carry on. And you fall to your knees and say, Lord, help me. Lord, give me strength. Lord, guide me. All-powerful, almighty God who loves me, who gave his own son for me. Help me, God. God is going to keep you tethered to him because he is a good shepherd of your soul and he cares greatly for you even when you lack faith. You see, God will never leave you. He has freed you from bondage that you could never escape by paying a price you could never afford. And do you think that God will let you be lost after he spent the blood of his son on you? No, he cares about you way too much. And he proved that on the cross. It's impossible for us to go on sinning like we used to. I can't do it. Sin makes me sick, and God continues to change me every day. And I know he's doing the same for you. I know you're a slave to God if you've given your life to Christ. And if you're not seeing progress, repent. Just submit yourself to the Lord, and you will begin to see progress And for those who say they're Christians and they never see progress, you know who your real master is. And I don't want you to be fake anymore. If you're a Christian enslaved to sin and you just never, ever get out of the cycle, maybe your master isn't God. Listen, we as believers, we're still messed up people. We still go back to the cage, we each do, like a dog that returns to its vomit, right? It's a proverb, by the way. It's in the scripture, so I can say it on stage, okay? <laughs> the difference is I'm becoming less like my old master and more my, like my new master. And if you're a Christian, even if it's the slowest amount, even if every day it's just a tiny old man, I'm just a little bit more like Christ. Praise the Lord. That is revealing that you are a slave of God. Praise the Lord. He is in control of your life, even if it's just a minute difference. Of course, we want it to be more. Spend time in the presence of the Lord and you will begin to be transformed. You're free. And you're free to walk on God's path. You're free to walk in his strength and his power. He gave you the power and the gift of his Holy Spirit. Stop striving in your own strength. Just give up. Fall into arms of your master. Let him carry you along in his own power, and his own might. He's a good master. Wanna welcome the band back to the stage at this point, as well as any high school graduates. uh, I'll just have the high school graduates stand over here. I'll try and make it less awkward for you guys like I did when I called you up here earlier, and you're like, oh, where do I go? Sorry about that. (laughs) But I want to pray for you graduates, and I want to encourage you with this last bit of uh, my message. So... The world is going to try and put you in its box. It's going to try and drag you back into the cage and force you to live under your old master's sin. And Satan is going to throw a million lies at you and try and convince you that that five by eight foot rectangle is where you should be. It's where life is found. It's a good place. but there's so much more to life than anything the world has to offer you. Don't believe the lies. Follow Jesus. He will set you free. Only by following Jesus Christ will you ever find true freedom. And the world, once again, is going to throw a lot of stuff at you, and I just want you to know that we're here for you. This is what the church is all about. We're not in this fight alone. And, uh, there's only one God, there's only one master, and there's only one person who's worthy of full obedience. So the question for all of us, for you too, for me, for everyone is, uh, whose slave are you? Who's slave are you? I want to pray for you too. Uh, Lord God, thank you so much for these wonderful uh, graduates, just all of them, the ones who aren't here, and uh, it's just a blessing to see what you're doing in our church, to see you building up the youth God, and I just pray specifically for these graduates right now that you would lead them, you would guide them, you would protect them from the evil one, that you would allow them to grow in their faith tremendously, Lord, and that as they go out, whatever they end up doing with their future, Lord, that that ultimately they would submit their future to you. They would say, Lord, what would you have me do? Lord, you guide my life. Lord, you are my master. And God, teach this to us all, Lord. We all need you desperately to remind us that you are in charge and it is good. May we submit ourselves to you, Lord, and find peace and joy knowing that you will take care of us and you will provide for us everything that we possibly could ever need. pray this things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks so much for watching online. I hope that this message has inspired you to greater faith, has encouraged you, maybe convicted or challenged you. We're grateful to be able to provide this content to you online, live and on demand. If you haven't done so already, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube so that we can get this content right to you as soon as we upload it. But you know, we believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you need the body of Christ. You need the local church. And so if you're in the Quad Cities, let me invite you to personally join us in person for our gatherings on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. If you're not in the Quad Cities, I want to encourage you to go find a local church that teaches the Bible, that serves the community, that loves Jesus, that gives grace. Well, hey, thanks again for watching, and we hope that you were blessed.